Amen. Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning, once again, to the 15th chapter of the Gospel according to John, where we are going to be considering this morning verses 7 through 11. That is John 15, verses 7 through 11, and you can find that passage on page 1060 in your pew Bibles. This morning we are continuing to look at the subject of our union with Christ and the Christian life that is the life lived by faith in the Son of God, looking once again at this illustration of the vine and the branches that we find here in this 15th chapter. And as we saw last week, the picture that Jesus creates for us here is one of intensely close relationships. The relationship that exists between Jesus Christ and all of those who truly belong to him by faith. The picture is one of absolute dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Only those branches that are utterly dependent upon the one true vine, Jesus Christ, for all the nourishment needed in this life will actually be found to be abiding in the vine. It is a picture that leaves the emphasis of the source of the life of the branch entirely in the vine. Unless the branches are receiving the life-giving sap of the vine, we are told that ultimately they will not and they cannot bear fruit. They must be receiving from the very roots of the vine or they in and of themselves have no sufficient means of collecting and directing the nourishment that is needed for life. You remember last week we said they are running to wood. They have no roots. We need to be utterly dependent upon the vine for life. Beloved, it's such a wonderful and hopeful picture. And I hope you see it. It's a picture of absolute dependency. It's a picture where we can see clearly and trust that even the rest, that the vine, even the rest that is ours, because we know that the vine is always faithful to nourish its branches. It's a picture where life is not left in the incapable hands of the branch. It's a picture that the church of Jesus Christ would do very well to consider instead of spending so much time searching in vain for the so-called hidden secret of the victorious Christian life. Conducting that search everywhere except the only place to find it, the word of Almighty God Himself. And I think that as we look together over the next several weeks at this 15th chapter of John, we will see exactly what the Christian life, the life of faith, life in union with Jesus Christ by faith is truly all about. And how different it is from the modern conception of of this life that I fear is so prevalent in the church of Jesus Christ today. And by different, I mean that the reality is far more beautiful Glorious than the cheap, tawdry images that we've so often replaced it with. 
Our faith in God is not equal to material gain or comfort in this life. It's not equal to our degree, our degree of physical health or comfort at all. We saw last week, in fact, quite the opposite is true. The branch that is truly abiding in the vine cannot expect that his or her life will be materially and physically blessed or that they will be given a life free from all trouble by God. In fact, the clear teaching of Jesus is that the one who belongs in him, the one who is truly being nourished by the vine, the one that will bear fruit can expect what? That they will be pruned. You know what that means, right? There will be trials. There will be difficulties. There will be pain and tribulation. There will be suffering and affliction. Why? Because we will bear more and more fruit to the glory of Almighty God. Because, beloved, by the grace of God, we are being sanctified. We are being conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are being prepared and preserved for glory. If the end of our suffering is the glory of God, we then, of all people, will understand what joy and peace truly are. The Word of God teaches that these trials mark us as the sons and daughters of the Most High God, not as outcasts. So we know that fruit will be present in the one who belongs to Jesus. And that the fruit will not be in the result of all of our hard work meriting the nourishment of the vine. It's given freely by God. It is incomprehensible for us to walk away from this illustration somehow clinging to the wrong-headed notion that the branch is at least partially responsible for the bounty that it displays. But we see here that it will be provided entirely by the vine and cared for by the loving hand of our Father in heaven. Not only do we know that all the branches that are by by the grace of God abiding in the vine will be bringing forth fruit. But everything necessary for that fruit's existence will come to us from the vine. Beloved, I want to tell you this morning that this should be a tremendous comfort to the people of God. Right? This is what we're getting at when we say that we rest in Him. This week we're going to talk about another aspect of life on the vine. And yet again, we see it is another thing that the world over seems to be searching for. And that is joy. Fulfillment contentment, satisfaction in life, or what we would call happiness. How is the follower of Jesus Christ happy or joyful in this fallen world where everything is so dim and hazy? Where even what we know is somewhat veiled and imperfect, where even our best intentions have the stain of our sin all over them. Jesus continues in his illustration here of the vine and the branches in verses 7 through 11. And he answers the question of where it is that we find real and lasting happiness and contentment. By answering it again in the context of this close, intimate relationship 
that exists between him and all of those who truly belong to him, who are now in union with him by God-given faith. So I'd like you to follow along with me as I read this morning the Gospel according to John, chapter 15. Again, we'll pick up where we left off with verse 7 and read through verse 11. If, this is Jesus speaking, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the privilege and the opportunity that we have to come before your word this morning. We pray that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the countless things that distract us in this life. We pray, Father, that we would give our full attention to your word and that we would find your words to be true nourishment for our souls and for faith within us. We pray that our faith would be nourished and that it would grow that we might live more and more for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, verse 11 of our passage this morning sort of sets the stage for what it is that we're dealing with here. Jesus states at the close of these few verses why he has said the things which immediately preceded them. He says it there in verse 11 when he says, These things I have spoken to you. Why? That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So the secret is not really all that secret, is it? Jesus makes it clear that the things that he has just opened up to his disciples, indeed for all of those who claim his name, They have been given to them, they've been given to us, in order that we can have joy in its fullest and purest form. And notice he mentions two specific joys here. He talks to us both about his joy and our joy, or their joy. And we have to see that. What is meant by his joy? What is it that brings Jesus Christ, the Lord, joy? (coughs) Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, talks to us about the joy of Christ and its source. When it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, Excuse me. Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy of Jesus Christ is rooted 
in the redemption and the reconciliation of his people. And the joy that he has in our redemption is the source of our own joy becoming full. His joy is rooted in our redemption. Our joy is rooted in the amazing love that he has for us, that is made manifest to us in our redemption. It again is a picture of this close, dependent relationship between the vine and the branches. Our joy is intimately tied to his joy. Beloved, I hope you see it here. And the verses that precede this 11th verse tell us even more about the source of that joy. Joy to the fullest for the branch that is by the grace of Almighty God abiding in the vine. This morning, I want to point out to you three three things specifically that contribute to the full joy of the Christian from this passage. Three things which are evident in the branch that is being supplied by the vine for absolutely everything, for all of life itself. Three promises that Jesus Christ says will become reality to all who are abiding in him. And the first promise is that the branch that is truly abiding in the vine is there for you in the first verse of our text this morning. Jesus says, ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And of course, he's talking about the great privilege that we have in this intimate and close communion with God through the avenue of prayer. And if we take this verse out of its context, we will easily fall into error here, as many do. Prosperity teaching looks at this verse and it says, oh, this is great. If we simply ask God for all that we want, riches, health, beauty, etc., then God will, of course, find himself obligated to give it if we somehow just really believe that he will. Beloved, we're talking about union with Christ here and we're talking about prayer in the context of this relationship of absolute dependence between the branches and the vine. We cannot divorce the one from the other. There is a prerequisite here to prayer. Do you see it? Jesus says, if you abide in me, And my words abide in you. If you are abiding, if you belong to the vine, if you receive from the vine, if you are in union with Jesus Christ by faith, united to his life, his death, his resurrection, then ask what you desire and that will be given. I want you to understand this is not a statement of some sort of formula for you to work out on your own in your own strength. It is a statement of fact. And we have to understand this about prayer. The one who is abiding, the one who has this close communion with God will be one who has much success in prayer. 
One who knows something of the power of God. Because the desire and the joy and the purpose of the one who abides, the one who has the words of Jesus Christ in them, that one's desires and joys and fulfillment are intricately tied to the will of the Father. Just as Jesus' will is tied to the will of the Father. We have to see that. We need to understand this. God is not some cosmic genie in a bottle that is just sort of waiting patiently to indulge us in all of our whims and all of our fancies if we just figure out the right formula to set him free. That's not prayer. This type of shallow approach to communion with Almighty God is never born out of a heart that has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Giving voice to the wish list of your flesh is not prayer. But the one who is abiding, the one who has embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ by faith, the one who is in union with Jesus Christ by faith, trusting heartily in him and in his righteousness alone for eternal life, the one who's being supplied with the Holy Spirit through the power of God, the one who is joyfully dependent upon the vine, that one seeks to be fulfilled by bringing glory to God. By celebrating the will of God. By knowing that that glory will come about absolutely because of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is dealing with in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, when he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. How? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. When we are in utter dependence upon the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand that even our imperfect prayers are being made perfect by the Spirit. We do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You understand what the Word of God is saying? We as the people of God cry out to God knowing that he will hear us, knowing that he will equip us with everything that we should need in this life to bring about his glory, to celebrate his will. This is communion with God. Even our imperfect prayers are being sanctified by the spirit of almighty God. Our prayers and our works are being sanctified by Jesus Christ, who is working as our advocate at the right hand of the Father in glory. Communion with God. He he communicates with us through word and sacrament, and we communicate with Him through this precious gift of prayer, knowing that though we do it imperfectly, abiding in Him, being in union with Him, it will be made to bring about the glory of God. It will be sanctified by the Spirit of God that is within us. And we will be satisfied. 
This type of communion with God leads us to the full blessed assurance that we are indeed the sons and daughters of Almighty God. Paul, earlier in the 8th chapter of Romans, again, makes this very clear in verses 15 and 16 when he says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And beloved, what could fill us with more joy than the recognition that we are indeed the sons and daughters of Almighty God? And that the very Spirit of God himself is at work within us, making it known driving us into this sweet communion with the creator and the sustainer of the universe. It really ought to blow our minds to even consider it. To even scratch the surfaces of it. And it does bring joy to the one who trusts God in precisely this way. The one who understands the real power of prayer. The one that trusts that God is indeed faithful. And that he will be glorified. The second promise of Christ here is, is like the first in that it is rooted in our assurance that we belong to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus promises that the branch that is abiding in him will bring forth fruit to the glory of God. We talked about fruit a lot last week. I'm not going to rehash that subject fully today I will remind you though that the fruit that is being spoken of here can only come about from the heart being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and as such it not only brings about the glory of God being manifested in our lives but it also provides us with the assurance that we indeed have ourselves been transformed We are true disciples of Jesus Christ, that we have the hearty, rich sap of the vine coursing through our branches. Again, it applies directly to our joy being full in this realization. What higher privilege could we have than to be secure that we are indeed the children of God? To know that the fruit that is hanging bountifully from our branches is the gift of God, that it brings God glory, and that it makes us, it marks us out as belonging to Him. It marks us as His possession. And we have to see it. Beloved, God has not called you to a life of fear and anxiety and doubting but to a life of rest in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? So that your joy may be full. Can you praise God for that this morning? So that your joy may be full. That's why he gives us these blessings. We rest in what has been made known. So, beloved, I'm asking you this morning, do you you live this way? Do you trust God in this way? Are you secure in the salvation that is yours in Christ? Do you have your peace and your rest entirely in Him? Or have you misplaced your trust 
and the circumstances of this life. In your current situation or trial. In your own comfort, your career, the security of your fantastic net worth. Perhaps even more fitting for our current situation in this country, have you placed your trust, your life, your dreams in the hands of a candidate? I trust if you have that you really don't need me this morning to convince you of the futility of that. You of all people know what fear is, you know what anxiety is, and though you long to find rest anywhere but in Jesus, your longings are only met with more horrible longing. As time and time again, you find nothing but failure and a lack of anything like peace in the things of this world. Do you have the beautiful fruit that is born out of the bounty of the vine hanging from your branches? Or have you been satisfied to give the impression of fruit, all the while knowing the real condition of your heart and where you place your trust? Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you don't have it, then I know that you understand Jesus, you understand Jesus saying that by it, that is by your fruit, your joy will be full this morning. Trusting in God by the grace of God produces it. That's the beauty of this. You who are in Jesus Christ, you who are abiding in the vine by the grace of God, are free to live as those who truly have nothing to fear. Nothing. There's no more tragic figure than the one who professes faith but is constantly carried away by the cares and the fears of this world. Because they live lives of the worst kind of misery. They have the appearance of godliness with none of the power that belongs to those who are abiding in Jesus Christ. Trusting in him and his righteousness as being far more sufficient for undeserving sinners like you and I. Never seeing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Right? Do you know anyone like this? Perhaps, do you find that you yourself are like this? I had a a co-worker once who was constantly claiming faith, making sure that everybody knew that she had faith and she showed precious little of faith, fruit of the fruit of faith in her life. She was always besides herself with anxiety. She would pour out her tale of woe to me. She had lost jobs. She had been through a messy divorce. Her son was rebellious and antagonistic towards her. Her family didn't care about her. She was going to lose her apartment, probably her car. As she went on and on and on, I kept asking her, if you belong to Jesus, what do you really have to fear? I said, it appears to me that you are very afraid, but if you have faith in Jesus Christ, like you're always putting out front, if you you have that faith, What do you need to fear? Why are you so afraid? And every time I would try to move her towards prayer or encourage her with the actual word of God, she would cut me off. 
she'd get angry and tell me I could not possibly know what her situation was like. That only she has had this miserable life and someone like me could never wrap my mind around it. That if she just had a little bit more money, a little bit better job, then everything would be fine and she could get back to the joy of her faith. As if her circumstances somehow dictated whether or not God was on his throne. I want to tell you, beloved, I pitied her because I kept thinking of this passage. Of the fact that the one who truly abides in the vine relies on the vine for all that is needed in this life. Knowing that even the difficult times are part of the process. That when when we are pruned, it simply marks out for us that we belong and we are legitimate. There's joy there. But when we suffer in vain, we do exactly that. Beloved, I ask you this morning, what could be more hopeless than that? I hope you get my point here. What could be more tragic than thinking somehow that you have been placed in union with Jesus Christ? That you have faith and that you never turn to it. Somehow convincing yourself that you see Jesus Christ, but you're never able to quite depend upon him. Lean on him. Abide in him. Beloved, you see the futility in that. The one who truly belongs to Jesus knows that difficult circumstances are just part of the pruning process. Part of this sinful body being conformed into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. And it embraces it and rejoices in it. And I hope you see the progression here. First, abiding in the vine leads to intimate communion with God. Even though we do it imperfectly, we are so provided for that the Spirit himself sanctifies our prayers. Giving power to our prayers, assuring us of our place in Christ. Then we see that this communion and the power of prayer lead to more and more fruit to the glory of God. Glorifying the Father, compounding our joy. Which leads me to the final point here made by Jesus, which contributes to our joy being full. The third and final point made here by Jesus Christ is that these things lead to obedience, which continues to drive us towards joy. Faith that by the Spirit of God perceives the undeserved love of Jesus Christ towards us, according to the Word of God, leads to a good conscience. And a newness in life. True faith is a dying of the old man and the birth of a new man. John Calvin put it this way. He said, indeed, Jesus Christ does not reconcile believers to the Father that they may indulge in wickedness without reserve and without punishment. But that governing them by his spirit, he may keep them under the authority and the dominion of He's merely echoing Paul's sentiments in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 7 and 8. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 
Therefore, he who disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Beloved, abiding in the vine leads to the freedom of obedience. It leads to sanctification as a certainty, not as just another obstacle course that I need to figure out in my strength. There's a world of difference between those two things. Lest anyone accuse me now of being a legalist, allow me to be crystal clear here. I'm not saying that our salvation is secured by something we do. The obedience that you and I render to Almighty God through the process of sanctification is not now or ever the cause of God's great love towards us. We do not through our obedience cause God to remain loving towards us because we have somehow proved to Him our loyalty. Rather, our obedience is the effect of His great love towards us. And I trust that you see there is a world of difference between the cause and the effect here. God is the cause. He continues in his love toward us despite us, not because of us. We are obedient because of his great love towards us in grafting us into the vine and providing us with the proper motivation, even the freedom to be obedient. We are grateful to God for his mercy in giving us salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We are being prepared for glory. And all that we need is being given to us through the vine, Jesus Christ the Lord. Beloved, I want to ask you, does it fill you with joy to know this? To embrace this? It should. Because we deserve none of this. If we were to be judged simply by our merits, every single one of us would fall far, far short of the mark. We are sinful. We deserve death and hell for the transgressions that we make daily. But because of Jesus Christ and his righteousness being imputed to us, we are free now in him. We have all that we need to live in unfettered joy, even in this fallen world, here and now. Do you see that this morning? In Christ, your joy may be full right now. Do you believe that? This is what all the great confessions point us towards. The Westminster Shorter Catechism begins with it. What is the chief end of man. In other words, what is man's ultimate purpose in even bothering to live this life? What is his chief end? I know many of you know the answer. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our own Heidelberg Catechism does the same thing, even more specifically, marking out what it is that fills us with joy and hope and a very real, tangible comfort in this life. And the very first question and answer. I know we all know it. I'm going to close with it this morning. And I plead with you that you spend some time considering the Scripture that really is the foundation of all that we confess as a body. Meditate on it this week 
Ask yourself this question. What really is your only comfort in your life and in your death? What is it that comforts you? The catechism says that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life. And he makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. Beloved, I want to ask you this morning. I'm not... I don't care about your circumstances, and I don't mean I don't care about them. As your pastor, I pray about your circumstances every day of my life. Right? I, I care in that way. But I'm not asking you about your circumstances when I ask you this question. Are you enjoying life on the vine? Let me put it another way. Are you enjoying the Christian life? Do you see living this life to its fullest as part of your service to the glory of God? Are you enjoying the Christian life? Life through union with Jesus Christ by faith, faith that God graciously gives. If not, then you have not even begun to taste its richness. Because you have failed to know anything of the life that Jesus is describing here. The life of the one who is united to his life. His resurrected life. And so Jesus bids you to come. Come and receive from him life itself. Come and see the redemption that is yours in Jesus Christ. Come and taste the amazing salvation that God has poured out in and through him. And live this life to the fullest in joy for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray.